And with me is Dr. Philip George, consultant psychiatrist at IMU. Good morning, Dr. Philip. Good morning, Charles. Now, we were talking about the scams all week, mm. and some victims of scams have, you know, become so traumatized by their experience that they yeah. cannot function. And also, you know, losing a huge amount of money is also pretty horrible. So, Dr. Philip, what can you advise someone who may be traumatized like this? Yeah. I mean, essentially, when people go through stress and if it's a life you know, changing stress event, then they can have several different reactions to that. And the first is, of course, acute stress reaction. And acute stress reaction can be where they feel, you know, emotionally affected and it affects their day-to-day life and their relationships and their work. But it doesn't last too long. And after a while, they get over it with support and, you know, uh, help from others and, and they move on. But there are others who may have a prolonged stress reaction and that can be an adjustment disorder or it can even even trigger off major depression. So, you know, in people who are vulnerable, it's important to identify if the if it's progressing for too long, then it may need some professional help and understanding and get some, you know, therapy and interventions in into it as well. I think the other thing is as well, when we go through something like this, it's important to look at who our support networks are. People around you know, it's it's useless being blamed and shamed and and sometimes people may do that when we're, mm. you know, going through stress after being scammed and, you know, and instead of that, we need to look for people who actually can support us and yeah. tell us, you know, it'll be over and we'll be able to get out of it and things will be better yeah. in future. I mean, it's bad enough you think you're, you've been a fool yeah. for falling for it, but then for someone to kind of uh, say, yeah, exactly, you idiot, yeah. um, you know, that just makes it and worse. Uh, and it? things like, you know, I told you so and how could you be so silly and mm-hmm. all that's not going to help someone one get through a, a devastating stress like this. Yes. Well, it is a mental health-free clinic, so do call us if you have a question for Dr. Philip. 03-954-3333. Nora has a question about how to get over her depression. She's young, and she's, you know, poorly paid, and she just feels stuck in a rut. That's coming up after Robbie Williams here on Light. It's a mental health free clinic, and we have Nora. Nora, you have a question for Dr. Philip? Yes, I do. I'm a doctor. I'm 25. I've been working for three years, and I think I'm kind of depressed because I feel stuck and kind of underpaid as well. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard for me to find a new job as well because there's no opening and it's kind of hard for my industry as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So, doctor, what do I do? Okay, you're afraid to leave, is that right? Yes, I'm afraid to leave. You're not willing to train in other industries or any other kind of job scope? At the moment, no, because I'm trying to improve my skill set here. Okay. So, mm. Dr. Philip, what do you think? Well, I think the last part of what Nora said is very important. And, you know, that gives her hope. She's trying to improve on her skill set. So, importantly, when people are depressed, we identify different symptoms. And hope is an important symptom in depression. We can identify mild, moderate, and severe depression depending on the existence of hope. And if people have hope, then it's most likely maybe mild and they can try and make lifestyle changes to help the depression get better. They can look for supports among their circle of friends or even religion or other activities that, you know, may instill some hope in them. I think for Nora, it's important for her to understand that right now she's, you know, at the beginning stage of her career life. And And we've all been there. Yeah, We've been young and underpaid, right? That's right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so, yeah, I think it's important to have hope and also move forward and think more positively about the future in with using that hope and find other domains in our life. You know, it's it's important to also think about family and exercise and recreation and, you know, other activities that will bring, you know, more pleasurable feelings instead of the negativity from her work. Because when you have all those buffers, then your work becomes more efficient. You might actually get upgraded as or promoted and, mm-hmm. you know, things improve as well. So work on reducing your stress and that way your work becomes more efficient and then you become valuable in your workplace as well. All right. Well, I hope that um, gives you some hope, Nora. <laughs> Give us a call on 0395433333. It's a Mind Matters free clinic. And coming up, Jacinta has a question about how to talk to her teenagers about their personal hygiene. That's next here on Light. Is a light breakfast with Shaz, and uh, it's a Mind Matters Free Clinic with Dr. Philip George. Jacinta, you had a question for Dr. Philip? Yeah, I'd like to know. You know, I've got teenagers, and obviously, I'm doing their laundry, and you know, I'm I'm not too happy with what I'm finding in the laundry basket with regards to you know how they're you know taking care of themselves, and I think that they should be doing a better job. So how do I approach them and speak to them openly about it mm-hmm. without, you know, sounding like the nagging mom? And also, I want them to take it seriously, you know, because when I have tried to broach the subject with them previously or downright just, you know, told them off about it, you know, they're always unhappy and they don't want to hear about it and they don't take me seriously. It's like, you know, no big deal to them or, you know, they think that I'm bugging them. So how do I deal with this out there? Yeah, I also want to know because I'm experiencing the exact same thing, <laughs> Jacinta. So, Dr. Philip, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, you've had teenagers in your house before, I'm sure. Yes, <laughs> yes. She's an adult, young adult, but mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes you have to, you know, still have that same old hat, the parenting hat, and yep. help them through even when they get older as a young adult. But yeah, it, it actually, parenting is a dynamic thing. It changes. And, you know, as your children grow, your approach has to change. And you can't be top down. You mm-hmm. know, when they become teenagers, it's often, okay, we're on an equal level. Let's be friends. Let's start with being friends. But we have also boundaries and we have rules. And they need to know those rules from the beginning. That, you know, there is a bath that they have to take every day. They have to, you know, do their clothes or, you know, even as they get a little older, they may have to be more independent. So you tell them things like, okay, now you're old enough to use the washing machine on your own. Yes. And, you know, that's going to be your responsibility. Now, if you're not going to do your clothes, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it either. Yeah. And you have to live with that. So, you know, you put boundaries, you put goals and everything and treat them like an adult. You know, because that's what they want to be too. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're fighting to be independent. Right. Uh, one of the things that I usually advise parents when they want to communicate with their teenagers is to not, you know, sit them down like you're having a therapy session and say, look, <laughs> let's talk about this and that. Family meetings. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. All that doesn't normally work because it's, you know, it's a one-way traffic. Mm-hmm. You're talking and they're just, yeah, mom, yeah, mom. And, you know, but it may be better to actually engage them in an activity that they enjoy doing. So it could be a board game, it could be exercise, something that they like doing. And, you know, you participate in that. And then you break boundaries and then communication becomes easier. Mm. It's also important to also look at communicating with them about things that are important in their life. And during that time of your life, peers are really important. You know, maybe girlfriend or boyfriend and, you know, things like that. And then, you know, talking to them about, you know... 
you know, I had a friend who, you know, when I was growing up and, you know, he was really stinky and none of the <laughs> girls could get close to him. Yeah, and you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that person. <laughs> so you want to bring your own experiences into mm-hmm. you know, the whole communication process as well. All right. I hope that helps, Jacinta. <laughs> um, when we come back, um, we're going to take a look at how safe and discreet it is to call a hotline like Befrienders. That's what Annie would like to know more about. That's next here on Light. And with me is Dr. Philip George, consultant psychiatrist at IMU. Now, Annie had written in via our DG Lightline at 0165108888. Her question is, how safe is it to call a hotline like Befrienders? How discreet are they really and can they trace our calls? Uh, Dr. Philip? Okay. <laughs> well, I've had the opportunity to do some training for Befrienders uh, volunteers. Uh, we were setting up the Sramban branch of the Befrienders and I helped in trying to recruit people and you know give them the idea about what mental health and issues are. So there's a big difference between para-counselors and counselors. Now, counselors are people who are trained, who go through you know a diploma degree, they're registered with the counseling body of Malaysia, and then you have your psychologists and they're registered in another body and then you have your psychiatrists, they're registered under the Med- Malaysian Medical Council. So, with para counselors, there is no registration. There's no sort of, you know, board that looks after them and has regulations and licensing and all of that. They're just volunteers, right? But <coughs> looking at befrienders, which is the main voluntary, you know, helpline in Malaysia currently, their training is pretty rigorous. They have professionals helping them. In our first group, I remember in Sramban, there were about 20, 30 volunteers and only half could get through Mm -hmm. to actually being accepted. Wow, okay. Because it takes, you know, I mean, the training is tough and it takes a certain type of personality, it takes a certain type of people and they live by a rule or guide. Mm-hmm. And that guide is looking after the confidentiality of their callers. So, I mean, if some callers are worried, they can actually use a private line. They can maybe even give an anonymous name and not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's completely fine. The voluntary befrienders and all that are actually happy to still right. talk to people, even though they don't want to mention their name or who they are and right. give identification details. Okay. In any situation, would a befriender trace the call in, if they were worried? that this person who was calling them may do harm onto themselves. Yeah, so actually because harm to himself or harm to others is something that is uh, necessary to be reported mm-hmm. but you need to have a contract to be able to state that you know and uh, i would say i think it's you know that they would more, most probably say you know if you are at harm to self i would need to you know report right. this and uh, you know and i think that's the appropriate way to approach it actually okay. uh, that people who do reach out to a helpline need to know that that confidentiality can be broken mm-hmm. if there is going to be a risk of harm to themselves or to others as well all right hope that answers your question annie i thought that was a really good question yes uh, yeah absolutely. coming up sean wants to help a friend who is in an emotionally abusive relationship we've got his call next here on light with me is a psychiatrist, Dr. Philip George from IMU. Um, it's a Mind Matters free clinic. Sean, you had a question for Dr. Philip? Yes. Uh, my childhood friend, he's been going out with a girl for about four years. And he used to be like one of the happiest dudes 
that we know, one of the happiest guys that we know. Mm-hmm. And once he started going out with her, we progressively kind of noticed changes that he was going through. He became more like depressed and quiet. And he detached himself from the entire group of friends. Right. We kind of feel like he's going through physical and mental abuse from his girlfriend. Simply because I'm not just like trying to accuse the girlfriend of being a bad person, but we strongly feel it's got something to do with her because I personally saw her slap him before. Oh, okay. Mm. Wow, that's, yeah. Um, yeah. Have you spoken like, to your friend about this? Not yet. That's the reason why I'm calling. It, it didn't stop there because one of our other friends told me that she threatened to commit suicide if he breaks up with her. Oh. I really need to know whether it's a good idea for me to go and speak to him about this or not. All right. Mm. Dr. Philip, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, actually emotional abuse or physical abuse is common in relationships. And I think it's important to identify the triggers and ways to stop it at an early stage. Now, I think your friend is, you know, just in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. And it is actually common for men to be victims of abuse as well. <clears throat> the The difficulty is most men would not want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, exactly. Because it sort of it, it it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah, that's right. You know, the, so media and everything else highlights all the abuse that cases of maybe women, but very little about men. And so people think it doesn't happen, and then when it does, they don't want to talk about it. Um, I think if you are a close friend, it'd be good to maybe reach out to your friend and say, you know, I know there may be something wrong. Uh, I'm here to, you know, just to give an, a, a lender year and, you know, I'm happy to help out in any which way that you like. Um, so offer that. And then when he's ready, if he does talk to you, mm-hmm. then it's an opportunity for you to talk about, you know, look at maybe getting counseling, uh, relationship counseling, because it doesn't really, you know, fare well for your relationship to carry on like this. And, you suffer and your you know partner suffers as well because even though mm-hmm. she's abusive and everything else, she's got some issues pent up there, yeah. stress and issues that she needs to deal with. And until that's dealt with, that relationship's going to continue being the same way it is. All right. Well, Sean, hopefully your friend will be open to your help. Thank you so much, Dr. Philip, for joining us on a Mind Matters Free Clinic this morning. Thank you, Shaz.